listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Before I jump into our text today, let me just say, I uh, just just so that we can just be real with everybody here, um, I uh, I was I woke up in the middle of the night, way too early, couldn't sleep obviously, and so uh, I decided I was going to turn on the TV. Um, and because I wanted to watch how, if you've been paying attention uh, to the World Cup, it's a beautiful game, by the way. Uh, I wanted to see how our team was going to bounce back after just an insane week of incredible criticism uh, for a number of different things, all right? So I'm not a political person, so don't worry about that at all. But just uh, these are supposed to be the best uh, soccer players in the world, and our team was picked to win the entire World Cup. And they've been getting an incredible amount of grief over how terrible they've been playing. Uh, and uh, for good reason. Uh, but uh, they've been playing bad, uh, right? But, but the thing is, is, is that a, a lot of times on the outside, you know, screaming back at them, we think, you know, hey, you're supposed to be the best of the best. Uh, play like the best of the best, y- you know. And we forget so often, we do this with, with even the people around us, we forget that other people are human too, right? And they've got stuff going on in their in their uh, at their in their homes, in their minds, in their hearts. There's injuries and all of that, right? All that to say that was just an, an illustration to say that oftentimes when you come to worship, um, there's something that goes on in our brain that's like, okay, you know, who knows? You, you know, you kind of lean to the into the family, and like, all right, guys, turn it on. We're going to church, right? Put on the face. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta get out on the field, and we gotta, we gotta be the best of the best. And let me just say, if you're here today and you're thinking that that's that you're surrounded by the best of the best, look, there's some pretty amazing people that are here. But every one of us has our flaws and our stuff that that's, that weighs on us, on our shoulders, our worries and our anxieties. There are people in the room that are just not enjoying life right now and are struggling and some that are in the middle of celebration. So don't think, if you're here today and you're looking around, you're like, wow, these people are sick. We're singing because we believe what's true. We believe in the truth of who God is, but we also know that, that we're flawed and we cannot believe that there is a God that loves us. So if you're here today and you're thinking that you have to be something perfect, uh, I'll tell you that you can't be and nobody around you is. All we know is that we follow a God that is and that's what matters. So whatever you bring today, you bring it. And we're just going to lay it before God. We believe his word is true and we are going to spend some time uh, leading. We're gonna, the scripture is going to lead us today into a time of communion where we just get to sit back and, and pause and remember this perfect savior of the world that's rescued us, saved us, and has given us Life. So if you're here today and you've been kind of holding your breath because like, I don't know if I fit in with these people, you fit in. God loves you, cares about you, wants to do something great in you. And we're all taking the next step in our journey today on being followers of him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we uh, ask this at this time that you would that you would just do a great work in our hearts as we look at your word, the truth of your word. We come, God, with sincere hearts saying that that we know that we are broken and flawed, but we are grateful. You love us. You care about us. You sent your son to die for us, and we walk in that peace and in that joy. And Father, we just uh, ask now, may your Holy Spirit just work in us. 
that we would think less of ourselves, but so much more about you. We love you. In your name, amen. Uh, it was uh, December 1903, um, and the Wright brothers had just completed their first flight of this contraption that they had put together. And they were so excited about this accomplishment they've been working on for so long, after so many failures. And so they sent a telegraph to their sister, Catherine. Uh, and the telegraph was pretty basic. It said, we actually flew 120 feet today. We'll be home for Christmas. And, th- and their, their sister takes that telegraph. She was ecstatic. So the first place that she went, obviously, was the newspaper. Because she, she went to the editor. She said, you have to see this. You, you've got to take a look at what my brothers just sent. And the editor read it, and he goes, well, that's great. The boys will be home for Christmas. <laughs> Missing the point uh, that, that history has been made, and really not even grasping, nobody could at that time, of how it would change the future and all that would go along with it. Uh, over the last number of weeks, as we've been walking through this deeper interaction of Jesus and his disciples, the, the closest, the people that were closest to him, uh, he's slowly revealing to them uh, who he is uh, as Savior, as Lord. He held off on saying that he was a Messiah because as we've been learning that that, that word term Messiah that's been promised throughout the Old Testament, even though Jesus was that, had uh, a, a, a different understanding by the people of the day of who they thought he would be. That when the Messiah comes, he would be uh, a, an earthly king that will reign on an earthly throne and give us all earthly power to, to take down our oppressors. And, but Jesus was slowly revealing to them, no, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do, why I came, why I was sent to, to live the perfect life, to die the death that no one could die, to be the sacrifice for you, all of the, the sins of humanity, that people would recognize that they would receive, would understand that my blood shed would purify you of your sins, my body broken would take the punishment that you deserve, that, that by going into the grave and dying and resurrecting, I would defeat death and hell forever, for all people to be able to, to enter into a relationship with God the Father for all of eternity. But, but Jesus... He didn't say it all at once. It was see, these slow little, uh, little hints at things because he knew that the disciples didn't fully understand it, wouldn't be able to fully comprehend. Uh, but they oftentimes, whatever he would say about it, would reveal things that didn't fit into what they thought Jesus was supposed to be. They pushed back against it. So when Jesus starts to proclaim to the disciples, we're going to make our way to Jerusalem where I'm going to be arrested and, and I'm going to be put on trial and as an innocent man I'm going to I'm going to lay my life down on that cross and die and rise again they would they rose up against him how dare you say that we're not going to let that happen if you truly are who you say you are we need you on that throne because we need to be free and, and we we need we need our enemies conquered it's what we've been looking forward to our entire lives what they were doing is that they 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 were trying to get Jesus to be something that they wanted, rather than seeing him for who he was and accepting it and living into it. We shake our heads at these foolish disciples, but man, I'm the, I'm, I'm the disciple. 
right? So often, how often do we, do we, we read about who Jesus is, but we, we don't fully accept it because, well, Jesus, here's what I need you to be for me today. All the other things aside, what I need you to be for me today is I actually need you to be today the, a doctor, right? Because uh, I'm, I'm not feeling well, and so I need a healer. And that's oftentimes where we put Jesus. We elevate him as that. Or today what I need you to be is I need you to be uh, the, the, the guy that goes after the, that person who wronged me. So could you, could you send a little something his way uh, f- to make him pay for what it is that he's done for me? Oftentimes we want Jesus to be uh, the, uh, a genie in a lamp. I, I want stuff. I need stuff. I need this now. And so the only time we go to him is for that, and we treat him like this genie in a lamp. We're grateful for Jesus as the Savior. But are we really, really, truly willing to let him be Lord? Reigning over all of our lives, letting Jesus be fully who Jesus is in all of his fullness in our lives, whatever that means for us. Whether it's easy moments or even in suffering, are we willing to let him, let him rule? And are we willing to let him do what he wants to do fully? in our lives. So uh, today we're going to take a look at the second half of this narrative that we started last week. Uh, Kind of an odd way that I divided it, but there's just so much in this that I I thought we couldn't get through it all last week, and so we're going to finish it up today. The story of the transfiguration. Jesus takes three of his disciples, his inner circle, his best of friends, Peter, James, and John, takes them up onto a mountain, uh, and, and he allows them to see him in, in his glory. And so they go up, they pray, and all of a sudden Jesus just starts to shine brighter than, than any uh, light could ever shine. Uh, like lightning, or as Mark says, uh, whiter than anybody could bleach anything. And it was Jesus revealing to them that he is God. And Appearing with them are Moses and Elijah, these two, the two of the greatest men of the Old Testament. And it says that they're having a conversation. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are having a conversation about, uh, about Jesus going to Jerusalem and how his life would end and he would resurrect and all that was taking place. And the disciples, you can imagine, are sitting there, jaws dropped, like terrified, it says. They're fearful. They, they can't believe what they saw. They don't know what to say. Peter says something, well, let's build some tents. And Luke tells us the reason he, he didn't even know what he was saying. Right? He was just kind of like, I, I, it's the best I got right now because what I'm seeing is absolutely incredible. And then on top of that, as they're sitting there in awe, then a cloud comes down over the mountain and an audible voice, God's voice speaks and says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. There's a command to the disciples. Really, truly listen to what he's telling you. Not just about obedience, but who he is. Because they were fighting it. They didn't fully understand it. And so that's where we kind of left off last week that leads into today's text uh, that I want to read for you. So starting in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 17. If you are willing and able, let's stand and just finish up this section of 17. So as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, 
tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that Jesus was speaking to them of John the Baptist. That's God's word. You could have a seat. So we read that and you kind of go, okay, I don't know what we're supposed to get out of this. The important stuff was was last week. No, this is vital. This conversation that Jesus has with his disciples and and what it's about, first of all, it, it, there's a whole lot of confusion. Their, their minds are spinning. They don't know what's going on. And then Jesus says, this, the greatest event has happened that they've ever seen. Jesus, his glory shining through. They saw Moses and Elijah. And you have to imagine, they're like, let's get down the mountain. We heard God speak. Oh, wow. And just the three of us, just the three of us got to hear it. Let's get down there and let's tell the rest. And as they're walking down, they're having a discussion about, first of all, what, what, did he, what was he talking about? That he's going to raise from the dead? What does that even mean? But you have to think that in their minds, they're like, but let's get down to our friends because I, I can't wait to tell them what we saw. And they didn't get to see it. So Jesus stops them and he says, tell nobody about what just took place. I don't know about you, but I, uh, I struggle. One of my struggles, many, in life is I, I have a hard time living in the moment. Uh, I, when I'm in the middle of, uh, of something that I've been looking forward to for a long time, and it, you'd think this is the culmination of all you've been planning for and saving for, and here we are in this great experience, and I'm just thinking, as soon as I get there, I'm like, I'm just thinking about the next one. Or I'm thinking about, uh, I can't wait to, to tell people about this, right? That, that's, that's just how we've come to operate now, especially in our culture. We can't live in the moment because we just can't wait to get out and tell somebody. But the thing is, is that I'm excited about what I've done. And then I go and I tell people about it. And they're like, well, that's great. Because I can't do it justice. It's kind of like uh, if you enjoy a good sunset. And you've seen one lately. They're like, oh, this is beautiful. i got to get a picture of this. And then you take out your $1,500 phone. has like six cameras on the back of it. And you take a picture. And then you take it home. And you're like, look at this sunset. And people are like, I, yeah, I don't. I've seen a thousand of those. There's nothing special. You can't do justice of what you just saw. Jesus says, don't tell anybody about what you've seen. Not because they couldn't do it justice, but but in reality that they would not be able to describe what had taken place well enough for people to understand because they didn't fully yet understand. They still thought, the people all believed that when the Messiah came, even though they didn't, not everybody believed that Jesus was that Savior, but that when he came, he would be an earthly king on an earthly throne, ruling over uh, their oppressors. So what the disciples saw was so powerful that it, it would have cemented to them, uh, or should have cemented in them, that Jesus truly is who he says he is. Now, if they would go and they would tell that message, like, look, guys, we saw this. you got to trust us on this. He truly is the Savior of the world. Uh, and people that didn't experience it, that they didn't see it, who were expecting the Messiah to be something that he wasn't, 
what they would have done is if they would have trusted the disciples, there would have been chaos because they would have had an uprising that would have said, we're going to protect him at all costs. Nobody's going to get to him. Nobody's going to arrest him. Nobody's going to put him on trial. Nobody's going to nail him to a cross. There would be no cross. There would be no grave that he would resurrect from. And so to avoid the chaos of the misunderstanding, Jesus says, tell no one about what you just saw until after it all takes place, until after the resurrection, until I raise from the dead. Now, it's not the point of of the text today, but as I just was thinking through this, praying through this message, I think we can, you obviously can apply all of Scripture to our lives. We can ask the question, so what can I do from this? What should I do from this? And Jesus commanded them, if Matthew says, to not go and tell anybody uh, about what it is that they, that they saw. Their obedience to him uh, would matter in how people would view Jesus. Uh, and, and Jesus commanded them not to say as to not cause any confusion. And I just wonder today, for each and every one of us, we just ask ourselves, how have I been living my life in obedience to Christ's commands about what I should do or what I should not do that is giving people an accurate picture of who Jesus is? Or, or maybe we need to ask, how have I been living my life in such a way that I've been doing things that, that have been commanded me by Jesus to not do, and I've been giving people a very inaccurate picture of who Jesus is by the words that I say, by the things that I say, by the things that I talk about? How am I living my life in such a way, out of full obedience to Christ, that I am giving everybody I come into contact with, passing by people, driving behind them or in front of them, walking by people, seeing people in Uh, at work or when we go to school, how am I living fully into obedience to Christ so that I make sure I am not giving people an inaccurate picture of who Jesus is? If I'm a follower of Christ, may the life that I live always be proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. And I think we can even expand on that. And we just say that. How is it that I'm using every breath that God has given me Every minute that I live, every interaction that I have with anybody that I come across, if it's just for a moment at a checkout counter or if it's at a meal, you know, sitting down with people for four or five hours, a cup of coffee, how am I using every moment to proclaim to people the truth of who Jesus is? Are we or are we not living in obedience to Christ? 1 Peter 2.12 says that we're supposed to live such good lives uh, among uh, unbelievers, that they would that they would see the lives that we live, and without even with their not even fully understanding, and, and without us really even to having to do much more, that they would see how we live our lives, and they would know that there is a good God in heaven, and that they would give Him the glory. Problem is that so often I find myself, again, if you want to rewind to my these are this moment that I'm in, I can't wait to tell people is that it's more about me than it is about anything else. How much of our conversations and our time spent with people is really about us and is not used to proclaim the truth 
of who Jesus is? Am I living a life in such a way that the words I speak, the things I do, the way I care for people is proclaiming the truth about who Jesus is? We have to believe it first. And if we believe it, we'll live it out. There are already millions of people in our world who have rejected Christ. There are millions of people who speak out against Christ. As believers, let's not add to the chaos. Let's give clarity as to who Jesus is and live it out with confidence. So the disciples were a little bit confused about this resurrection. They had questions. They they weren't supposed to keep silent on it forever. Jesus says, just stay silent on this until I rise from the dead, which they're just going, we don't, we've never, we don't understand that. We've seen you raise people from the dead, but you're going to do it yourself. How, how can that be? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Mark 9, 10 says that as they were walking down the mountain, they were discussing among themselves what he meant by raised from the dead. They, they were just baffled by it. What they also didn't understand is even though they saw Jesus, his transfiguration, his glory shining out of him, they, they actually would not see him in all of his fullness until after the resurrection. That's when, that's when things would be complete. It would be the resurrection that would bring everything told about Christ, about the Savior, and everything that he said about himself would bring it to perfect fulfillment. And Jesus says, you just wait, you just wait, wait until, until you see me conquer the grave because that's the message that people will believe in. And it's true. You, you read through the book of Acts, there's a, this incredible message that the Apostle Paul preaches uh, in Antioch. Uh, and and he, he says, and I, the reason I can say all this about the truth of who Christ is, because I've seen him. And the people say, could you not stop preaching to us about this, right? That, that's, that's, a, that's pretty rare that I ever hear that, right? But could you not, could you just never stop preaching? Tell us more uh, about this r- resurrected Christ. It's the resurrection that's the magnified final proof that Jesus is God. And Jesus says, you just wait until it happens, and then you tell everybody. The death, uh, his Jesus' death on the cross extremely important, vital to salvation. That, that, that the Son of God would willingly lay His life down and, and take our punishment and our sins, that His blood would be poured out for our sins. But, but it doesn't end there. There is a grave that He goes into and He takes uh, our sin and He buries it and He conquers it and He destroys it and He comes out alive, giving us our hope that there is life after death for us. That there's more to this life than just living and dying. That there's more to this life than just, than just all of a sudden shame and guilt are gone. But no, there is a great hope that we get to live into. Oftentimes when we preach the gospel, we forget about the grave and the empty grave. And Christ defeating that death. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, If there's no resurrection then we as believers above all people in the world are most to be pitied because it means that we're following something that 
that just doesn't, it doesn't have a, a good, it doesn't have a, a happy ending. We're living for no reason. Our faith is futile, he says. Because no resurrection means that, that all of the truth of Jesus is a lie. It's in the resurrected Christ that we find our hope. In Christ, he says in verse 43, what is sown in dishonor gets raised in glory. What's sown in weakness is raised in power. The first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam became a li- is a life-giving spirit. And he says in verse 49, just as we've borne the image of the man of dust again, just, just as though we're, we come from the line of Adam and sinful man, we will one day bear the image of the man of heaven made possible through the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus in all of his glory. That, John talks about this. In, in, he opens his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14, says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, full of grace and full of truth. And verse 16 says it's from his fullness, in all that Jesus is, Jesus is God, in all of his fullness, we receive grace upon grace. It just never ends. But it comes to us because of the resurrection, the fullness of Christ. It's more than God's Son on the cross, as vital as it is. The gospel includes the empty grave. And Jesus says, you just wait until after Everything has been completed, and you tell people about it, and it will make their lives complete. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The resurrection was the confirmation of everything that Jesus had said about himself, everything that the Old Testament had prophesied about who the Savior will be. That Jesus was truly the Savior. Now, as powerful as that is, the disciples are still the disciples. And, and Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this until after the resurrection. And they're like, what about the whole Elijah thing? Every time, I don't know what it is, but the thing that has jumped out to me as I've studied this again is that every time that Jesus talks about Rising from the dead, they don't go, what? Like, tell us more about that. It's always, it just kind of, it's what it is. It's, it's, hey, the Wright brothers just flew for the first time. Human beings flew. They're going to be home for Christmas? And that's, that's what happens again. He says, don't tell anybody this until I rise from the dead. And they go, yeah, but what about Elijah? Like, we have questions about that, and, and rightly so. You see, because... In, in ancient Judaism, as they were waiting for the Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised One to come, uh, there was a passage that they clung to tightly. And the scribes, the ancient teachers, uh, Malachi 4, 5 and 6, was like this life verse for everybody about whatever was going on in life. Well, at least Elijah's coming back for us. And when we see Elijah, he's, when he shows up, that means that the day of the Lord is coming right behind him. So we just have to pray and wait. And they would do everything in anticipation for that. We're going to celebrate 
uh, the Lord's Supper today, and it, it's, it comes from the, the Last Supper, the Passover that Jesus shared with the disciples. But even at the, the Passover meal, there were different cups that were laid out that they would drink from, but there was one cup in the middle of every table that was always full. Nobody was allowed to touch because that was the cup of Elijah. Because there was this thought of, if he shows up, it's probably going to be during Passover, because this is the most important day of our lives, and we want to have a place setting for him to come. They were waiting for him, because Malachi 4, 5, and 6, it says that the, the great and mighty day of the Lord will come after Elijah has come and restored all things, has made everything clear to us. And he will draw the hearts of men and restore his people. And so they're like, well, we hear what you're saying, that you are the one that is, has come, sent by God, that you are the Savior of the world. But the problem is it doesn't fit into our timeline. right? It's not working because we haven't seen Elijah yet. However, for those disciples, who, they didn't say it, but maybe they're going, well, we just saw him for a split second. Was that it? Is that everything? I mean, that was pretty cool, but... I mean, we've been waiting for this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And everybody thought that they were going to see Elijah. And so was it that? But what's the deal? You can't, you can't be going to Jerusalem to die yet because we haven't, Elijah hasn't come. And Jesus says, your scribes were right about Elijah is coming. And when he comes, he will restore all things. And he said, however, I need to let you know he's already come. And, and, Jesus talking about John the Baptist, the forerunner uh, who came to, to preach the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that's what he was doing. He was restoring the people, restoring them back to, to God, to their father, like Malachi said would take place. John the Baptist, was, his message was that call to repentance and healing hearts in preparation for the coming of the Savior. Because everything is restored when there is true repentance and faith. And Jesus then says, the same thing that they did to him, they're going to do to me. And it was then that the disciples understood that it was John the Baptist he was talking about. That they had, that they had experienced the fulfillment of a prophecy, but they wouldn't understand it or even look for it because it didn't fit into the way that they thought it should go. How many of us, even in our world today, there's just a lot of Scripture that we just kind of set aside and, and think, well, that, that doesn't fit for me. Right? It doesn't fit for, for today. All of God's Word is true. All of God's Word is fulfilled. All of God's Word is given by God for us to know Him understand and to live into there is not a mistake and there's nothing that could ever be changed no matter what happens in our culture or in our world you can't say well that was for the people back then no god in his own way uh, has fulfilled all of this or will fulfill all of this it's not our job to change it and we definitely can't say that we don't agree with it and jesus says the same thing they they did to him they'll do to me and the disciples understood. He cleared up the confusion that they had. And he now opened up the door for them to fully understand and to look for more fulfillment in everything that he had said about himself. 
for us today, we have to admit that there's probably a number of things in Scripture that, we, that don't make sense, don't line up with the way we thought they were supposed to go. Things that don't make sense, and we, we try to make them make sense, but we're not a, we can't be 100% sure. If you don't believe me, go to a Bible study on the book of Revelation. Right? Everybody's got a different perspective on what's going on. It's a great thing. All, all of scriptures, go to a different church. There are different churches that interpret scripture differently. But we need to read scripture in all of its fullness so that we can see the truth, the fullness of God and Jesus and what it is that he desires of us. It may not all makes sense to us, but Scripture actually tells us that what God wants us to know, He's revealed to us. What He doesn't want us to know, He keeps from us. So let's grab hold of the things that the Holy Spirit reveals to us and let's run with it. And one of them is the truth and who Jesus is. And the world needs to hear it. Jesus came to this earth and He loved greatly. But Jesus didn't come to this earth just to love. It, Everybody in this room has loved. Anybody can love. Jesus didn't come to this earth just to perform miracles. Because you can read through Scripture that there are a number of people who did miracles. Jesus came to this earth and He lived the perfect life. But He didn't come to this earth just to be a good example for us. There are a lot of people you can look around that are great examples that you can follow on how to live this life. As vital as the cross is, Jesus didn't come to this earth just to die on that cross. There are actually two other men who died on the cross on either side of him. And Jesus didn't come to this earth just to give us Christmas. He came as the only one who could do the impossible that would change eternity for everyone, willingly lay his life down as God, perfect sacrifice, and to go to the grave so that it would be defeated forever, to open up the door for each and every person, to have that relationship with the Father restored, to follow after him, and to live into a hope that there is a someday. There is life beyond the grave. It is so much better than what we have today. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that he conquered that grave. That he raised, was raised from the dead. And Jesus says, you preach that message after, after I'm alive. And he is alive and he is reigning on the throne. And he tells each and every one of us, now go. And you tell everybody what it is that you've seen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for today. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we give you praise for what you reveal to us. Uh, my prayer, God, today is that what, what we take from here and what we live into would, would be so much richer and so much deeper and so much smarter than anything words that could come out of my mouth today but that it would be you active in the life of your believers to go and to proclaim the truth of the resurrected King who lives today, 
makes intercession for us, who knows us, who stands before the Father and says, they are mine. My name is imprinted on their hearts. May we live like that. May we be people who, who go out and we give an accurate picture of who you are, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you thanks. We love you, for you are our King. Amen.